Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org. We thank you for the birth of your son Jesus that we can celebrate not only last week and this week, but every day. I pray that we would celebrate both the incarnation of Jesus, uh, the word being made flesh, but also we would celebrate his life, perfectly lived in obedience and submission to you. And we would celebrate his death that satisfied your wrath and that stood in our place. And we would celebrate his resurrection that proved your power over sin and death and is a guarantee and promise for us of what is to come. We thank you so much for all these truths that are given to us in the scriptures. And I pray that as we continue our worship this morning, that we would see Christ exalted, that we would be established in the truth of the word, and that we would then engage the world with this good news that you've announced to us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here at Grace Community Church this morning. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder. I will not be teaching today, though. Um, it is our delight and privilege to have one of our family home, Sean Cross, along with Melissa and Hazel and Anderson and Milo are all here today. And Sean is going to be preaching. Began Union Church almost four years ago. Come March, it'll be four years ago. We'll hear reports on that. And... Um, Sean and Melissa, Sean, make sure you share what you and Melissa uh, shared with us earlier about um, our support and our connection with you in D.C. Um, so uh, we're going to be delighted to hear from Sean. He's preaching from 2 Peter 1. I want to know what it means that we've been made partakers of the divine nature. So, Sean, you can uh, share that with us uh, this morning. That's a hard uh, thing to call. I'm just messing with you. So uh, we'll hear from Sean in just a few minutes, and we don't always, because of the nature of our congregation, uh, it's transient academics, athletics, and other types of jobs and families that move us away. Uh, we don't often say this, but one of our deacons, uh, Dexter Wells and Kathy, his wife, are leaving us, forsaking us, abandoning us. <laughs> They're going to... Phoenix, Arizona, where it's 75 degrees, and way more importantly, there are grandchildren there. Children, but grandchildren, and a job waiting. We love you guys, and our hearts go with you, and know that this is the case with any family member that ever lives. But again, uh, just saying goodbye to Dexter and Kathy. If you want to talk with them, um, Speak with Dexter after the service. If you want to cry with him, speak with Kathy. Or just stand there. <laughs> and uh, we will, our, our, our hearts uh, rejoice and weep all at the same time. Well, uh, our prayer focus this morning is the benevolence offering. And in Galatians 6, I just wanted to read a text, Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Verse 6 is one of the primary places in the New Testament that we get the principle, the Old Testament principle of tithing or the command to tithe. This is a New Testament principle. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. The idea is, it's, you could say literally pay the preacher, but it goes far beyond that. It, it extends to all the ministry uh, that has to be paid for here at, at Grace. So that's our general tithing and and offerings that we give to the church. Then he continues, and, and these verses that you've used about weight, losing weight, and uh, all, all kinds of disciplines, really is about money. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life certainly applies to a lot more, but primarily here about money. And then it continues in verse 10. 
Well, verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that's really what our benevolence fund does. We try to do good to as many people as we can, but especially to those of the household of faith, and even more specifically, to those here at Grace. This past year, we gave uh, over $13,000. We, we gave away. We've got a balance in, in the Benevolence Fund right now, but we have given this much. It's about 40% less than we gave last year. But the needs have been met. All of the needs that, that people have uh, had this year, and so oftentimes that happens without them ever making a request. We know of a need. Deacons know of a need, and then they... Uh, meet that need. I just wanted to share a, a couple of things that happened this past year. Uh, one of our members, Marisol um, Newton, Lee and Marisol Newton. Uh, Marisol is from, from Puerto Rico, and we were able to send money from the Benevolence Fund down, and you cannot imagine what that did for those guys. You can imagine that American dollars will go a long way in, a, in that kind of a, a setting. And so her family was greatly blessed. And then two people, two people have told me this this year, and I know it's true of, of more, but they've said this. The money meant a lot to us, but it wasn't anything really about the money. It was God saying, I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be all right. And that's what the benevolence funds do. Uh, and and there were, I'm sure... Dozens and dozens of testimonies to that effect uh, that we never hear. We get a lot of thank you notes. And listen, I, I just want to encourage you. If the day comes where you need the Benevolence Fund, please don't be too proud. The Lord just puts us all at different places at different times. Sometimes it's a time to give. Sometimes it's a time to receive. And so if there are needs, we want uh, to meet them. And then that testimony to the world says, we love each other. Wow, there must be something to this relationship that they talk about with Jesus because it's being played out in their relationships with one another. So, uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer, we are about to receive our regular offering, and the deacons will come and receive that offering. But then also, a little bit later, we will have our benevolence offering. We take that once a month on the last Sunday of the month. And all of those funds, every penny, you hear it all the time, but every penny of that goes to help people in need. So uh, just let me encourage you to give generously and pray that those dollars, that those pennies and dollars will go to the places that the Lord wants them to go. And, the, and that it will be an encouragement far more than just uh, a little difference in the bank account. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the gift that you have given us, the gifts that you give us every single day. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no change, no shadow of turning. Lord, uh, we thank you for your steadfastness and the ways that you minister to us. And thank you for the ways that you have ministered to many this year through the benevolence uh, funds that we have available here at, at Grace. We pray that you would give us generous hearts that enables us indeed, Lord, as a church to give generously. Thank you for that. We thank you uh, for the ways that the gospel has gone forth from this place. And so, Lord, as this offering goes indeed for that, purpose that the gospel go out, Lord, through all the ministries that uh, occur here and through our missionaries, we just pray your blessings and, and your grace uh, to go with all of our gifts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm, I'm pulling my wife up here uh, because when things need to be conveyed that have happened in the past with any measure of accuracy... I know who is the right person to convey it. Um, so I'm going to let her share 
what Brad had alluded to earlier. Um, also, if anything needs to be shared with any sort of emotional clarity, uh, it's, it's better for her. So I've put her on the spot. So grace to her uh, and then grace to me. Um, so. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm Melissa, for those of you that don't know me or us. Um, but what, if you were here last Sunday morning, um, there was a time that was kind of open for the congregation to share of like what was the thing in the last year that you really felt God's love for you. And I typically, as you can probably hear the little tremble in my voice, don't love to talk in front of people. Um, so I didn't share, but I did share personally with Brad and Chris Pope, and Lee wasn't here, but I don't know where you are now, but the three of them had come to visit us, um, gosh, September, October maybe of this past year. This year was inc incredibly hard for us with the plant and, sorry, <laughs> there's the emoting. I make up for it between the two of us. Um, <laughs> So, um, in, like, in what, you know when you, like, go to do something that you're like, this is going to be really hard, and you're like, yeah, it's going to be really hard, and I'm ready for it, like, and then you're in it, and you're like, wait, what? Like, like this, this hard? Oh, no, like, I wasn't, you know. It's just all that to say it was a hard year in ways that we just hadn't anticipated, and when y'all sent Brad and Lee and Chris up, that was the thing that I thought of when Brad said, what, where did you feel God's love this year? To have them to have known us for as long as they have, and we just felt seen and loved and without agenda or needing anything in return from us, which is how God loves us. And it's a budget line, it's extra expense on you guys, and the families sacrifice the time away from, you know, to send them up. And it might seem small, and it might be like, is this worth it? Like, let me just tell you it's worth it. Like, it is the thing I feel like that sustained us this year. So thank you guys for allowing them to come up, and the three guys, thank you for spending that time with us. It's really meaningful. So that's all I wanted to say, and now I'm going to... Uh, yes, um, so my name's Sean, that was my wife Melissa, we're up in D.C. Uh, before that we were here at Grace for quite some time, both as college students and then on staff working with the youth. Uh, we left Grace about four years ago uh, to plant Union Church, um, and, and at the time it was to plant Grace City Church, just to give you a sense of the connection that we feel to this place, um, but then in D.C., that was already an existing church, uh, and we thought two uh, didn't work, so Grace City Church also uh, is not the best name for a church, um, and so uh, we spent a year uh, with a Church Redeemer uh, in Arlington uh, doing a church planting residency. Uh, and just really getting to, for me, reno the area uh, for our family to adjust uh, from uh, Southern Way, Carnick County, to uh, Arlington County, Washington, D.C. Um, and we spent a year there, and then about six months gathering and training folks. And then about two years ago in November, I say about Two years ago in November, we officially covenanted together. We're, we're Baptists, so we covenanted together uh, as a church family two years ago in November. And uh, as Melissa shared, uh, it's not been easy. Um, it's, it's, it, and it's not been easy in ways that we didn't expect it to not be easy. Um, you know, we're going to D.C., it's going to be hard preaching the gospel to people, you expect that growth is going to be slow, but there's been an emotional and spiritual toll that perhaps we should have expected that we didn't. Um, and so in a lot of ways, uh, both of us stand up here before you uh, very just bare and tired and 
And this is who we are, but God is faithful, and he's faithful in our city, and he's faithful in our family, um, and he's faithful in our lives, and, and we're thankful to you, the community that, a community that we know uh, prays for us regularly, a community that we know supports us uh, financially. D.C. is more expensive even than we thought. Um, uh, you have to have a budget line for parking tickets, and that budget line needs to be high, even when you're certain you didn't do anything wrong. D.C. is an expensive city. Um, and so we, we, we're thankful for you. I'm thankful to be back here. Uh, I realized, and, and I was like, ah, it's been a few years. And then I looked at the, the website to sort of corroborate my, my own thoughts. And surely, it, it, it's been three and a half years. It was... Uh, almost, it'll, in, in June, it'll be four years uh, since the last time I preached, so not anymore, clock reset. Uh, but <clears throat> so there are a lot of you who really have only heard about us through people speaking on stage, and you need to know that we love you, we love this church, we were formed by this church. It is the place where, uh, uh, where, where we learned how to be Christian together where we learned how to do ministry, uh, and, and uh, your fingerprints are all over the District of Columbia as we serve there. Uh, and if you're looking at the screen, it, it is the District of Columbia. And uh, bef <laughs> we currently meet in a new building. You may have seen that in a video a while ago. We don't have projectors anymore. Um, in some ways, I feel free with it. Uh, in some ways, we don't get to show neat graphics, right? Um, <clears throat> But the spirit still moves. Um, <laughs> uh, but if you look at this, this is what we showed every Sunday. Because uh, we remind ourselves every Sunday that Union Church exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples that apply the gospel to every facet of life. So this morning, I just want to talk to you about growth. Growth and grace. Uh, it seems fitting, given that uh, we are in the last day of 2017. And so as we look at this day, what we kind of do is we look back at the last year. We look at our lives. We kind of make some assessments about our lives, what's happened in our lives, what God has done in our lives, what we've done in our lives. And then we look forward to 2018 tomorrow. And, and I'm sure some of you have been thinking about it even now. You may have uh, resolutions. You may have goals that you're setting for this coming year. And so this is a time of assessment, a time of planning, a time of hoping, a time of looking back and of looking forward. And so it seems to me that growth is something that we're all already thinking about. And so we ought to explore, at least from the scriptures, how it is that we grow, how growth and grace is possible, what growth and grace looks like. And so I wanted to share with you that because I, I feel like if you are like me right now, you need encouragement. And this text is very encouraging. And so there are eight points from this text on grace. We're going to run through them. And if you've heard me preach before, um, this may be a little different because we're going to be really practical. Usually, uh, I would say that I, I preach more in sort of the like epistles, Paul sort of theological breakdown. And then at the end, how do we, wh what, what is, what's the utility of this in a sense? Uh, but this is going to be more pro like Proverbs. It's going to be more practical. Uh, just, just words of encouragement as you enter this next year. And so there, there are going to be eight points. We're going to look at them. The first point you already see on the screen is this. Growth in grace is possible. It's possible. Perhaps as you look back at 2017, you look at the beginning of the year and the goals that you had, and particularly the spiritual goals that you had, and you look at them, and you see that you didn't, you didn't make it. I was going to read through the Bible. I was going to pray every day for at least 30 minutes. That might be ambitious. For at least 10 minutes. I'm going to share the gospel with my neighbors or my coworkers. 
and then you get here to December 31st, and you say, well, I had gracious conversations with my coworkers. Does that count? Um, and as per usual, numbers is really repetitive. And praying is hard. And you go to work. You come home. And there's a family that needs your attention. And then they're asleep. And you're awake. And Netflix knows just how tired I am. And you set your alarm on your phone. And your phone wakes you up. And when you press your phone alarm saying, yes, I am done, it greets you with Facebook and Instagram and your email. And before you know it, you've got to go to work again. So that, that prayer one didn't quite go. And you look at your life and you assess your spiritual walk and you ask yourself, Am I anywhere different from where I was last year and the year before? And is this even possible? And God tells us through his apostle Peter that this is possible. Listen to what he says. Some of these things are just amazing. So first of all, Peter, the apostle, you are the Christ, son of the living God. I'm going to walk on water, even if just for a bit. Like we like to harp on the fact that he looked away and fell, but he took steps, fam. Like that's incredible. Peter, who denied, then came back. Peter, who preached the very first sermon of the Christian church. After, like, after, or at which God poured out his spirit and people were talking in tongues and understanding. This Peter says to those who have received a faith equal to ours. So that's us. That's the recipients of this text. You have received a faith equal to the Apostle Peter's. Because the faith is not through the Apostle Peter or through us. It's through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have the same faith and spirit as the Apostle Peter. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Do you hear this? Like What Peter is laying forth for us right now is that this idea of growth in grace is possible. And it's interesting. I have, I have three kids, and, and I love them, and they're in a stage in life where they're doing things that are hard for them. Right? In fact, they're doing things now that are hard for me. Are you smarter than the fifth grader? No, absolutely not. I've seen their math. I know I've seen it before, but I haven't seen it like this, and I don't know what to do, right? And they're doing things that are hard for them. And something you hear a lot from kids who are trying things that are challenging, shooting a basketball into a 10-foot hoop, multiplication for the first time. Do you remember the first, think back to the first time that your math teacher told you that letters could be part of a math problem. The whole world changed. Is up, down, I don't even know. And you hear a lot, I can't do this. And with a kid, there's an incredibly powerful word that as a parent we like to say, and I hear teachers say, and I'm thankful for the teachers who say this over and over again. A kid comes to you and says, I can't do this. And what do you say to them? Yet. Yet. What does that word convey? It, it conveys the possibility of you actually being able to do this. Right? You say yet. Or you say things that convey the idea of yet. Yeah, I couldn't do that either. There was a time before I could add. There was a time before I recognized that after 10 was not 11 T billion, it was actually just 11. Right? There was a time that simply adding 10 to the, to the back of a number didn't make it the greatest number in the history of the world. Like, what's the biggest number? 810. Right? Like, that's, 
A, not a number, and B, there are bigger numbers than that. Right? And so we're teaching them yet this idea that, that there is a place that you are by virtue of just where you are in life, but that's not where you're going to be. This is the hope that, that, that Peter is giving us in the gospel, is that the very things that he has, the very faith that he has, the very growth and maturity that he has is not just for a select few, it's for all of us. And at one point, Peter did not have the faith to tell people when they asked him if he was with Jesus. Jesus that he was. Peter grew in faith. We grow in faith. We grow in grace. You aren't there yet. And that's okay. When you preach or when you do Christian ministry, people will often come to you and they'll say, you know, I was looking at that text and I just, I don't know how you got that. And what they're saying is like, I can't do that. And now sometimes they're saying, I don't know how you got that. Like, that's way out in left field. But a lot of times what they're saying is like, I don't know how you get there. Like, I can't do that with the text, right? And, and what I want to say to them is that it's study and it's time and it's practice and it's using resources and it's patience. If every time you read the text or if the first time you read the text, you say, man, I don't know what to do with partakers of the divine essence, so I'm done, you'll not grow. So the idea that growth in grace is possible is really important. And I need and I want and I desire for each of you to hear this. No matter where you are, no matter what 2017 looked like, no matter how tired you are that you can't break out of this sin pattern, that you can't go deeper than you thought you would go or as deep as you thought you would go, that I can't, that I can't, that I can't, that growth in grace is possible because, because God has given you Everything you need for it. Not only do you have the same faith through the righteousness of Jesus our Christ, you have, by God's divine power, everything that is required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's verse 3. You have everything you need. God has given you everything. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you his family. He's given you the testament, the great cloud of witnesses that is the church past. Everything you need, you have in Christ Jesus, which means that for you right now, Growth in grace is possible. Not only is it possible, though. Second point is this. Growth in grace is necessary. It's non-negotiable. The Christian life is a movement from, from grace to grace. It's an increasing knowledge and understanding and devotion to and relationship with God. We measure the Christian life in growth. Paul tells us, right, Paul is, is mad at, at churches. And what will he say? He says, by now you should get this. You're still on milk and you should be eating meat. You ought to be growing. Listen, <clears throat> He's given us everything that we have. By these, he's given us uh, a very great and precious promises. This is verse 4. So that through them, you may share in the divine nature. Now listen to the last part of this. Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. It's necessary. You ought to be doing it. You should be doing it. And your soul, for the sake of your soul, you must be growing in grace, it is what is necessary to escape the corruption of the world. 
Peter here is alluding to the fact that there is a judgment. There is something coming, that there's a war going on. And that there's, there's a day where the war ends and where, where there will be judgment based on the work of Jesus or based on your life. And then the work of Jesus effective in your life is made manifest by how you grow. Now, before we get too confounded in this idea of you work your way to heaven, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying, and we'll come back to this, is that a good tree bears good fruit. And so if your life is not bearing the fruit of grace, then it doesn't mean that you haven't earned or you have lost the grace. It means you have very good reason to ask yourself, am I a participant and a recipient of this grace at all. It's funny, I heard uh, Tim Keller say that when he talks about growing, spiritual growth in his church, he'll preach a sermon exclusively to Christians. And as he preaches on growth in the gospel and spiritual growth, what he'll find is that more than the sermons where he preaches on just the gospel as is, as an invitation to those who are not believers, that he will find people coming up and saying, you know, I thought I was a Christian, but I'm not, and I need this. He sees more fruit of the gospel, in a sense, as he preaches on growth in grace. Because what it forces you to do is to say, if these are the fruit in keeping with repentance, if these are the fruit of love and of grace and of godliness that comes by the Spirit, if these are the fruit, if this is the fruit of the Spirit, and I exhibit the fruit that is not of the Spirit but of the flesh, then maybe, maybe something's off. Help me. And then as they press in, what they find is that they haven't been leaning on what they already have that has been given to them by God. What they find is that they thought, if I did A, B, and C, it was enough for God. I go to church every week. It's enough for God. I'm even, I go to home group. Home group, y'all. It's enough for God. But growth and grace necessary. It's interesting. When Jesus talks about salvation, he doesn't just talk about a prayer. He doesn't just talk about a moment. He talks about how difficult and how, how unusual and how counterintuitive salvation is. And he says that if there's a broad door, that the broad door doesn't lead to salvation. It leads to destruction. It, in fact, it's the narrow door. And, and, and you almost feel this sort of Alice in Wonderland-ness about it where you say, yeah, I can't go through that door. Oh, who's put this potion here? And as I drink it, I enter through the door. And you look at faith in Christ and it, and it causes a door that is too narrow for me and my own self to walk through it, to then move through this door, to pass through this door. But he doesn't stop with the door, does he? He says, straight is the way, narrow is the path that leads into salvation. And so Jesus envisions for us not just a moment, but a moment and a life. Now there must be that moment, there must be conversion, but there must be a life of growth, a life of discipleship till the end, faithfulness to the end, and we can do it. We've already said that. Growth and grace is necessary. It's possible. It's necessary. Here's the third. Growth and grace is supernatural. And, and I'm here, like this is point number three in this order because of the text. And I think it's in the text because it's, it's good for us to hear. Right, Because when you say that it's possible and when you say that it's necessary, what our human hearts hear is that it's on us. We've got to do it. I can do it. I have to do it. Let's go do it. And what we need for a second is this irony of the, the, the Christian faith 
that it is both possible and yet by the power of man impossible. Growth in grace is supernatural. Listen to what he says. Those of you who have received faith equal to ours, not through ourselves, right? Through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. God's divine power has given us everything required for him. Now look uh, again, and, and this is the text that Brad was talking about. Through them, through these very great and precious promises that God has given us, the promise of the gospel, the promise of life forever in Christ Jesus, through these promises, we share in the divine nature. I'm reading from the CSV. Some of you are reading from the ESV, and I believe it says, are partakers in the divine essence, in the divine nature. Uh, if you're in the NIV or uh, the... the um, NASB, uh, I, I think it, it may say participators, right? All of these things, though, lead us to this understanding of what it is, of who it is that we are, of what it is that happens when we become Christians. We receive the power of God and we partake in the essence of God. We receive the power of God. He's given us power. His divine power. That word power is the word we get dynamite from. It blows up hard things. It clears paths for us. Right? The power of God is dynamite in your life. It blows up the flesh. The power of God working in your life results in this tension that is unlivable. Because your flesh is now at war within you with the divine power, the Spirit of God. And here's what's remarkable. Is that in a battle between your flesh and the power of God, God wins. You have power. Power over the enemy. Power over temptation. Power over temptation that doesn't come from the enemy, but just, like, we, this, is what it's, this is what's amazing and scary and difficult about the Christian life, about the spiritual life, is we have an enemy, but we didn't even need an enemy. <laughs> like, we have our own selves, right? Like, I, I don't need Satan to tell me to be jealous, right? I don't need Satan to tell me that I'm not enough. I just need a mirror. And we have both at war, the enemy, our own nature, our own sin, fleshly nature is at war with us. But family, we have power, right? Those words that we sing are not just words. There is power in the blood, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Power over the flesh in you. Power over the enemy. Power over those things that come and seem to partake you. Power over a stagnant life and walk that you just can't seem to outpace. You have power. And this should be really encouraging. Because all of us have used our own power and seen where it's gone. But you have power. And you are partakers, participators in, and sharers of the divine nature. This is fascinating. Before God saved you, you were still spirit and flesh. But you were, the word Paul uses in Ephesians 4, is lost. And when he uses that word in Ephesians 4, what he means is what he says in Ephesians uh, 1 and 2. You were cut off from. It's like, uh, is it, I can't remember what it's called. Gravity? Gravity, is that the movie where they're in space? And they're tethered. And if they get cut off, then they're just floating. There's no 
thing to bring them back. And that idea of just floating with no tether, with no gravity, that is a sense that lostness gives us. It's a desperate... Here's the thing about space. Is that when you're floating away from something in space, you can use all of your power, but it doesn't work. You need some friction. (laughs) This is where we were, and here's the amazing glory of the gospel, is the gospel is this, that this was us, and God in his divine glory, the word glory, it, it, it conjures up this sense of weight. And weight and density and gravity. God in his divine gravity enters our story. And as we are drifting helplessly away, he tethers us to himself by his spirit. And he, and Christ says it this way, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, Paul says it this way, we are grafted into this tree. We are tethered to the divine. God enters, the divine enters. Our story, our history, our worlds, our lives, and in love and grace catches us and tethers us to himself. Now this tethering is not simply metal and inorganic. It it is this organic tethering. He actually pulls us, God pulls us into himself and we then eat and drink of righteousness. We're full. That's why communion is such a powerful sacrament. It's not merely a remembrance. Although if it were, that would be enough. It is a re-practicing. A re- it is a symbol that holds weight and power. That once again, we're eating and drinking, and remembering, and partaking of together the grace, the divine nature of God. I know you're going to have a Grace Matters on that. Y'all can flip that around. (laughs) But we participate in that. We partake in that, which means it's ours. Here's a very emotional way of saying it. And the emotions are good. We'll get to that again later. An emotional way of saying it is this. I'll quote Jesus. As much as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Do you believe that? Jesus says that with the same perfection that God loves Jesus. Now, Jesus is a part of the Trinity, and so he's speaking of God the Father, and you've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and there's there's this love that flows between the Trinity that is perfect, divine love. And Jesus says the same love that, that flows between us, and I love you with. You are now connected to this love. You are a part of this divine nature and you are not a part of the trinity (laughs) you're not god but something of the love of god is now inexorably yours supernatural so then we move on and we see that grace growth and grace is gradual it's possible necessary supernatural but it's gradual, and I I love this. This is where we begin to get really practical. Because as Christians in 20, soon to be 18, we have to wrestle with sanctification in the age of Amazon Prime. I need it in less than three days, really. But I need it in less than three days, and I can't go get it. In fact, if I could get it tomorrow without going to get it, that would be really great. And if I can't, I'm actually going to be really, really upset. 
you made an e-promise to me. I paid the annual amount. <laughs> and, I should, and, and, and have you ever tried to get something on Amazon only to find that it wasn't included in Prime? Like, there's a letdown there that is unexplainable. I have to wait five to seven business days, and it's Thursday? Like, come on. We live in an age where gratification is instant. We live in an age where you don't have to wait a week to see if that car going off the ramp is going to crash or not. You don't have to wait a week to see how much stranger things get, right? You can watch 12 hours of TV in 12 hours and 15 minutes. You have to go to the bathroom at least once, right? But you can because while you're watching, you can use your phone to have Domino's deliver pizza to you, which you get at the bathroom break, and then you can keep watching, and Netflix knows he wants to do this, so every once in a while it just reminds you, like, you sure you're still in this? <laughs> I most certainly am, Netflix. I most certainly am. I'm not a quitter. <laughs> but we get it instantly. And growth and grace is not instant. God is not a cosmic Amazon. God is not like a cosmic uh, iOS upgrade. Where like you look at, have you ever gone back to an iPhone 3 or 4 and looked at it? Like, you turn it on, and there is at least a half a second before it powers up, right? It is slow. God's not that. God's time is not our time. God's ways are not our ways. God waits 300 years, 500 years, two millennia to do something. Listen, like... <laughs> When the apostles died, they were certain that Christ was going to come back in their time. It's 2017. God doesn't work on our two to five day timetables. And neither does your growth. And this is important because some of you need to, some of you need to have as much grace on yourself as God has on you. Andrew Peterson, y'all know him. He comes here, seems regularly, he's practically a member. But he has a song that says, be kind to yourself. And you don't hear that a lot. I mean, you do, but it's usually fluffed in like, you're a delicate flower and made of stardust, right? <laughs> you are a wretched, sinful person who is fully and utterly depraved. Be kind to yourself. I tried to twist it up on you. Because God is kind. To you. And if God can be gracious to you, who do you think you are to speak condemnation on yourself? Growth in grace is gradual. It's why, it's why young believers shouldn't become elders. Paul is like, make very sure that they're not new to the faith before they become leaders. We like a pipeline. Paul is like, this is much more fluid than that. And it takes time. It's gradual. And listen, you can't multiply. We're back to math. You can't multiply if you can't add. And so listen to this. I love that therefore Peter gives us this progression. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, we could talk about this and we could pick apart, does he mean that these things come in this precise order? Maybe, maybe not, but certainly what he's saying is that growth happens and it happens moment by moment, step by step. 
We grow gradually. You should read True Spirituality. It's by Francis Schaeffer. And it's a wonderful discourse on what it is to grow gradually, daily, moment by moment, just growing little by little. Even when sometimes your growth is stagnant and when it goes backwards and I'm getting ahead of myself, but it is gradual. So be kind to yourself. It is gradual. So work at it. And the power of the Spirit. I know, it, I know what you're hearing. You can't do it. Do it. You can't do it. Do it. It's not our work. Work at it. It's not our work. Work at it. This is what the Scriptures give us, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> and all we can do is be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to work at it, but not really by my work, but I'll work at it. Not in my work. It's gradual. It's added to you. And not only is it gradual... It's practical. It's practical. Since we're in the realm of math, or since we were just talking about math, we'll keep talking about math. Um, And uh, I'll I'll owe her something for using Hazel. I try not to use my children as as illustrations, but I I love it. Hazel is very good at math. She just is. Um, And, you know, Hazel had a test in math. And... I guess this reflects more on me than on her. But, but she's like, I need to study for math. And I'm like, eh, you can't study for math. You have to practice it. Um, which I think is true. Like, there comes a point where there are theories about math that you can't study. But when it comes to math, when it comes to multiplication, when it comes to the Pythagorean theorem, like, you can memorize it. You, can, you, you can't study math, though. You have to practice it. And when she, she was like, I, I want to study. I was like, you can't study. You have to practice. And so what did I do? I, I gave her problems. I was like, solve these. And as you practice it, you learn it and you become confident in it. But you can't study math. You have to practice it. And likewise, you have to practice grace and growth. It's practical. Like, there is a life that we practice and do. There are things that we do regularly. I call them practices. You can call them disciplines. There are a a lot of disciplines that have been passed down from Christian to Christian to Christian. Disciplines in our life. And see, this is where the work of God and our work sort of meet because God isn't opposed to effort. He's opposed to this notion of earning because God does the work and Christ has earned it, but he's not opposed to effort. And so there's work that we do and, it, and, and, it's, and it's powered by the work of God in our life and, and we can call them disciplines and, and, and like I said, I'll call them practices because I want us to think about it, right? It's not simply something you study as though the more theology you have, all of a sudden, the more like Christ you are. And you see this. I, I call this the seminary complex. I was the seminary complex. I've heard, uh, I've heard some, <laughs> heard it said, melon on a toothpick. All head, no hands, heart, or feet. You don't look like Christ. It's remarkable. When Jesus wants them to grow in following him and in discipleship, he doesn't give them books to read and test them on it and tell them to write essays. Although he does give them remarkable theology that they won't quite get until after the cross, what does he do? He tells them to feed people. He sends them out. He tells them to pray with him. They practice the Christian life. They practice the way of Christ. It is something that we study, yes, but it is something that we practice. And your growth in these graces, your growth in these disciplines comes through practice. And so here are some practices, and I know I've got to to wheel it in. So I'm just going to give you five I'm just going to list them. Don't worry. Practice number one is silence and solitude. Now, there are other practices, and and you'll have already heard them, but silence and solitude. I said I was just going to list them, but I have to talk a bit about this one. One of the things that I've noticed in my life is that the things people the thing people need most from me my family the church that god has entrusted with me my friends is presence 
and presence is difficult in the age of the cell phone, of the smartphone. It's increasingly difficult. I remember sitting down with Brad at lunch, a phone rang, and I was like, and took it, and afterwards he said, he, he was like, oh no, it's fine. Um, and he, he was just kind of remarking, and he said, it used to be that if you were in a conversation and the phone rang, to take it was rude. But now, if you're in a conversation and the phone rings, to not take it is rude. People are looking at you like, are you going to answer that? And as a result, you're never quite present. The apps on your phone are calling you away from presence. Presence is lacking. And this affects so many of us. You cannot grow as a family if you are not present together. You cannot grow as a people if you are not present with other people. And in life, and listen, the same thing that draws you away from presence to your family and to to the people that God has given to you, it draws you away from God. You need presence with God. We need to practice presence with the one who is always present to us. And I'm telling you, when you're doing your devotion on your your cell phone, every text is a movement away from presence with God not trying to like put some law on you but when I talk about practicing silence and solitude I talk about it in the same way that hopefully we protect time with our family where we say I'm going to unplug all of it I'm going to step away and I'm just going to be with the one who is always with me silence and solitude Jesus practiced it you ought to silence is hard because in those moments you hear all the things that you wish you didn't but God ministers in the silence. Silence and solitude. Meditation, particularly on his word. Sitting on the text, listening to God. Not trying to figure out what it is, what the mystery of the text is, but just listening. A lot of these seem passive. Fasting It's the practice of dependence. You may not realize it, but you are utterly dependent on God. Fasting throws you back into that state. Number four, confession. Confess your sins to God. It's amazing. He's faithful and just to forgive them. So many of you are sitting on this weight that you need not simply because you have not confessed to God your sin. You're afraid that God is angry. The anger of God has been appeased. And his mercies are new every morning. Confession, remembrance. So often our grumbling and our bitterness is a result of the fact that we have forgotten the goodness of God. When the people passed through, passed over the Jordan River, what did God call them to do? Set up 12 stones. Why? Because he knew they'd forget. So when they passed, and for generations from evermore, saw the 12 stones, they would remember that God was greater than the other gods of the land and that he parted the sea and his people passed over him, the, uh, over, over it. <clears throat> there is great value to recounting what God has done. Read Psalm 103. And forget not all God's benefits. I'm going to add last one. Lament just because I said I was going to come back to the emotion thing. Um, I was at a funeral. I, 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 I preached a funeral um, a couple months ago, and the daughter of the man who had died um, was speaking, and her voice cracked, and she apologized. What have we done as a culture that we apologize for emotion at a funeral? Lament teaches us that God has given all of us, including our emotions, for our maturation, for our growth. Lament teaches us that things are still broken, and we look forward to a God who will ultimately fix them. Grace is practical. The last three are simple and short. Growth in grace is observable. We said it already. Fruit trees bear fruit. 
we have to go back to math. And I'm going to show you a couple math slides. So the first thing you're going to see, <clears throat> people tend to think that their faith is like a ramp function. So the negatives are before Christ. The zero is when you sort of reach Christ, right? And then growth, man. That's all it is for the rest of my life, baby. <laughs> Got that Holy Spirit juice just Yeah, and then you're like, boom, and <laughs> friends, growth is more like a variable sign function, obviously. Um, no, but look, our Christian walk, our Christian life, it's ups and it's downs and it's ups and it's downs. And here's the thing is you can observe and measure grace and growth in it. And I just want to give you a practical bit of advice that I heard from Alan Hirsch that has, has really, really helped me. Is that the way that you measure growth and grace is by if those lows are higher than they were last time. Not by the height but how you respond and how God ministers to you in the lows. So remember even those. It's observable. Finally, growth and grace is communal, communal. The easiest practice to forget, or not finally, there's some, the easiest practice to forget is remembrance, which is why Paul says, therefore I will always remind you about these things. It's not good for us to be alone, which means we need community to preach and the gospel to us and to remind us that, hey, brother, I've known you now for five years, and where you were five years ago is not where you are right now. And I know that in this moment, you feel stagnant, but God has done a work in you. Number eight, growth in grace is mundane. Paul says this. Peter says this, therefore I remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. Even though you know them, I'm going to remind you of them, because you're not going to want to do them, because it's kind of normal and every day. The thing, you're not amazing, and you can thank me later for that, like, you're not amazing, right? You... We have this idea that like the Christian life or our life ought to be something that's meaningful and that means we get stuff done and, and people are amazed and we do amazing things and we go amazing places and we live amazing lives and we're radical for Jesus and we sell things and we go places and the people who change things are the people who go to Africa or Washington, D.C. or wherever and it's just not true. It's so amazing to me that... that And then I'm going to close basically with this. I learned more about grace and growth in it from Elise Fennerty than I did from William Carey. She homeschooled children. She did dishes. She cleaned. She was joyful. She knew the Lord, and she grew in him. And her life is not going to get a book that is a New York Times bestseller. There's no biopic being slated for her. I learned more about what it is to follow the Lord from Linda Vail Talley than I did from Augustine. The ordinary, simple, life is where growth and grace happens and here's what's remarkable the stories about William Carey the missionary the stories about Augustine the stories like those stories that we hear are not if they were here and could talk to us about where they grew the most those aren't the it's not the amazing things where they grew it was where man we were just tired and hungry and I was trying not to not to beat my kids <laughs> right and I'm I, I just beating the old sense of the word not in the like um, yeah, don't tweet that one. Um, <clears throat> right? 
Life is in the boring. Life is in the boring. And that's where we grow. Just because I'm gracious, there's a bonus. Growth growth and grace is worth it. God has given you everything. We've already covered that. There's more to come. So when you say, should I live this normal, quiet, boring life, trying just day by day to grow in God, doing this number all life, and, and this part really is hard? Yes, because everything you can need is in Christ Jesus, and there is more to come. Let's pray. God, that was a lot, and I hope that it was useful. Give us grace to grow in you. Amen. And some of Peter's last words. Beloved, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, Amen. You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org.